You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Metro Detroit. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hey Kensington, I'm Jenny Warns, Discipleship Director at our Birmingham campus. Welcome to the first weekend of our new series, United, today and the two Sundays following. We are going to look at the words of Jesus and how to be united during this politically divisive time. It's going to be a challenging series, but we believe it will meet us in our tension and give us a wider view of the kingdom of God. Now, speaking of tension, I bet you've experienced a bit of that in your home in the middle of a global pandemic and a rather unusual school season. For our family, stress has hit an all-time high more than a few times. Talking with many of you, your year has been anything but cool, calm, and collected. If you're in a season of stress or anxiety, please be part of our second Faith and Family online event happening October 22nd. We're bringing in psychologist Jack Wilson, who has a PhD in performance enhancement to help us navigate how to deal with stress and anxiety within the family. Registration opens soon at kensingtonchurch.org slash faithandfamily. In keeping with the theme of kids, I would like to remind you that we have an incredible kids program called Kensington Kids, and they're continuing to offer intentional tools and resources despite our circumstances. We want to help you as you guide your kids to connect with God. So we're offering engaging, age-appropriate teaching, worship videos, and other activities on our website, as well as supply packets to help you lead your family at home. Check it all out at kensingtonchurch.org slash kkids. Now we know that many young families are watching the service together, either at home or in one of our auditoriums. So right now, we have a special message for kids and parents that deals directly with the topic of the day. Here's my friend Taylor. Hey guys, my name is Taylor Leal and I am so happy to see you here today. Today we are talking about how God made everyone different. When God created each one of us, he didn't make us all exactly alike, did he? We live in a huge world with lots of people. We look different, we act different, and we definitely have different opinions than each other. God made us all different. It can be hard to get along with other people. We lose our temper, argue with friends and family, say unkind words because they don't think the same way that we do. Have you ever lost a friend because of an argument? Do you ever think about how you could have changed what you did? Here's what God wants us to know and do. He wants us to know he loves them. He wants us to love them too. So what are you supposed to do when you disagree with someone? What are you supposed to do if someone makes you mad? God wants to answer wants us to answer with gentleness and respect. Maybe that means you sit quietly and listen to that person. Maybe it means that you answer their questions with a soft voice instead of yelling back. How about asking for forgiveness when you've hurt someone's feelings? These are all things that reflect who God is. By remembering who God is and remembering that he made everyone, it can help us to show others about God, especially if they don't know about him. I know this is hard. You don't have to do this alone. You need God's help. And we can pray and ask for God to help us. We can ask for him to help us love a person that is hard to get along with. God will help you. See, once you have Jesus as your friend, he lives inside of you. He will always forgive you and he will always help you forgive others. And he'll help you see how valuable that they are to him. 
Thanks, Taylor, for that great reminder of how much we need God to love those around us. Right now, we're going to hand it off to our music teams as they help prepare us for today's message. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? Good morning. We are so glad that you're here, whether you're sitting in these seats or whether you're online. We just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Aaron Jones. I'm the Worship Arts Director here at Clinton Township. My name is Sonia Maletta, and I'm the Campus Director here at Clinton Township. I have exciting um, news for you. We have McCrest. Um, for 12 years, Kensington has partnered with McCrest to take care of homeless women, um, children, and men. And so for 12 years, we've housed them. This is the first year that we're unable to because of COVID, but we are still supplying um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and donations like water, gas cards, bus tickets. So we need your help. We need to um, take care of this as a church. We love to love in our community. And um, so as a church, we're going to um, take care of 60 homeless men and women. But we need your help. If you could go out into the lobby and you can sign up there or go to Kensington Church backslash McCrest. Now, if you've been following along with us, you know that we're jumping into a new series today called United. And it's no surprise or secret that there's so many things that are dividing us and not just us as a church, but our entire world. And so whether it's political or a different stances that people take, there's so many different things that are trying to divide the church. And we thought that this would be the perfect time for us to really dive in and see how God wants us to come together. And so we have this thing that we call a creed, and it's a couple of different statements of what we believe and we thought that this would be the appropriate time to really kick off this series and go through those it should be coming up it on the should screen. be coming up okay there we go okay there we go we believe there is only one God who exists eternally as a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the trinity is fully God, yet each is personally distinct from the other. We believe the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, is the word of God written by people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what God wanted to communicate to humankind. It's authoritative, trustworthy, and unchanging. We believe men and women are created in the image of God to live in relationship with God. Yet the first two humans, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God, bringing sin into the world. Because of their actions, sin spread to all humankind, creating separation between humanity and God. We believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and was long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people and the Savior of the world. He was both fully God and fully human. He came to redeem all of humanity from the power of sin and death. We believe Jesus Christ was crucified and died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, and someday will return to earth to fulfill God's eternal plan. We believe Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid for all sins. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ, not by being a good person 
or by doing good deeds that a person can be restored to a right relationship with God. We believe the Holy Spirit comes to live within a person once they have placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. The Spirit gives followers of Jesus the power to live as God desires them to live and gives spiritual gifts to serve the church and change the world. And we believe the church, both local and universal, is a community of believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to the scripture, the church organizes under qualified leadership, gathers regularly for preaching and worship, observes the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the spirit, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and the church's joy. Now, we've had so many exciting things happening within our community, and we have one great announcement that we wanted to share with you, and we put a video together to talk about it. Take a look at this. Last weekend, the Clinton Township congregation, the staff, Steve Andrews, myself, Dave Wilson, and others had the privilege and the honor of celebrating Chris and Liz Arbaugh and their family. A couple weeks ago, Chris resigned from Kensington, and so we actually had got to be there and really celebrate him and all of the impact that he has had on the Kensington community, especially Clinton Township. And so that weekend was filled with a lot of different emotions. Of course, uh, we had a lot of laughs because you know Chris Arbaugh. That's one thing I'm going to really miss is his laugh and his stories. And so we did have a lot of laughs. We did have a lot of stories. But also, uh, there was the emotion of sorrow. We really did have a lot of tears as well because this is a person that we loved and has invested 16 years into this community. And so that was a privilege to be part of that. But here's what we know about God. We know when God calls someone somewhere else, we have to prepare ourselves to receive. And so when I learned of Chris's resignation just two weeks ago, literally 24 hours later on my calendar was a meeting with someone that I had been talking to for almost six weeks about another position at Kensington. And in that 24-hour period of time, we decided that we were going to ask this person, would they reconsider a position, not the one we were talking about, but would they reconsider coming and being an interim lead pastor for the Clinton Township campus? So we had that conversation. Uh, just not many hours later, they confirmed that that was something that they really felt led into. So I have the privilege right now to tell all of you that the original lead pastor of Clinton Township, Craig Mays, is going to come and be the interim lead pastor as we're searching for a new permanent pastor. So, uh, Craig Mays. Yeah. Well, listen, a lot of you are shocked right now and surprised, but nobody more than me because uh, 2020 has been a year of surprises, but I didn't see this one coming at all. <laughs> um, but, but as soon as we got on the phone, got on the call about this, I just knew in my spirit, we took 24 hours to pray and Chris and I talked together, but um, we still feel we belong to Kensington. Uh, we're a daughter church, Communitas, that was planted in 2008 in New York City. Uh, we owe so much to Kensington. I owe so much to Kensington in terms of my own development the years that I was on staff here. So this was an easy yes. I'm ready to be of help, any help I can, coming in a pastoral role uh, during this time of transition. So it's really exciting for me, excited to see what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Yeah, and so are we. We really are. And, you know, you mean so much to me. You've been so formative in my own uh, spiritual life. You were the first person that ever looked me in the eyes and saw something more that I could see. And you said, hey, I think you can preach. I think you can teach. Uh, that's one of your magics. That's one of your gifts that you can actually look into people's eyes and really see more of them, see Jesus in them and call it out. 
uh, to be to fruition. And so I just love that about you. I think your your whole pastoral heart is going to be beautiful in this time. And it really is going to be for a period of time that uh, Craig's going to do this. But I do want you to talk a little bit because you still have ministry in New York, uh, you and Chris, your wife. So uh, I'd love you to talk a little bit about what this might look like. And by the way, when I told you you could teach, it's because when you were leading worship, you were teaching more and more. And sometimes you would you would be leading, and I thought that was better than my message. I don't think they need to hear from me. So it's great to to have watched from a distance how you've grown uh, in those gifts, and God is really using you. So, so Communitas um, still exists as a church. Uh, Chris and I were leading it together the first four years, and then in 2012, God gave me the great privilege of becoming the CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, which is New York's actually it's the country's oldest mission. And that's really what our church uh, began to morph into, was to really go after those living on the margin, the poor, the homeless, the, the mentally ill, the addicted. And we've been doing that now for over 12 years. We will continue to do that. But Chris has really served as a lead pastor for the last eight years, and she will continue in that role. And I will be spending uh, time in Michigan and time in New York. And I was kind of thinking in, in the flight over today that this is what Paul did, because I planted Clinton Township, I planted Communitas with Chris, and often um, he would go back and visit other churches and still stay engaged and involved. So I'm not saying I'm the Apostle Paul, but uh, this is a role that I cherish right now to come back into that community that I love, that, uh, that I helped uh, start the church with uh, to see where we are now and what it looks like moving forward. Yeah, and so the next uh, year or so uh, that Craig is going to give us is a true interim position, meaning this, that during this interim time, we are going to be searching for the next permanent leader. And Craig is the perfect person to help us make that transition. But here's what I want you to know at Clinton Township, that you are our priority in this time. You really are. Uh, the next permanent leader is a position that we don't want to rush. We want to take our time. Uh, we know that God has prepared somebody, the perfect person. And so we're going to let that come to us. And uh, Craig's going to help us uh, along with the leadership team, which is incredible at Clinton Township. And so we want you to know what that would what that would look like. So we're we're thankful that God would provide. We're thankful that in this time of a really tight transition, that we would have a great option and that God would provide you. So I don't know if you have any other sure. last kind of thoughts for us, but well, I think the the main thing I'd like to share is um, what you already know. And this has been a year of so much change for all of us, and change is difficult. I think I think we're all kind of worn out right now with all that we've had to deal with this year. So I'm very mindful that. The Clinton Township congregation, like this had to be a blow. It's like, what else could happen this year? Um, some of you are mourning in grief right now, and you will be for a while. And no one's going to try to rush you through that. Um, I'm available to talk with you. Many of you listening to this don't know me. And that's a long time ago, 15, 16 years. So I, get, I look forward to the chance to get to know you. But we just want to walk with you. I want to walk with you in this process of transition with the pain that will be there and some of the joy that we'll experience together as we follow Jesus. So thank you so much. It's an honor to be in this journey with you. And I would ask you this, would you please welcome Craig Mace? <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm in shock. And stop clapping because you're gonna steal from my message time, okay? <laughs> you can clap with me one-on-one -on -one in the lobby, okay? I'll join you. So it's so good to be back. Sonia, oh can you believe this? No, I can't. I can't believe it. I'm so excited to have Craig um, here with us. We launched Clinton Township together. There was a team of us that, that started that. And 
um, when you guys decided to go to New York. I remember telling my husband, I think we're supposed to go to New York. And he was like, ah, God's not telling me that. No, you and were, I, actually you were and you disobeyed. I thought so, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was really, really a difficult time. Um, he was here for a great season in my life. And to have him back here, you guys, is just incredible. He is such a gift and you are going to be loving on him. He's got yeah. so much to offer to us. Well, and I have to say, um, some of you here actually with a mask on, I don't recognize you very well. One of my former admins after the first service, she was my executive assistant, asked me if I remembered her name, and I didn't. Didn't even know who she was. Then she took the mask off. So um, I may not recognize you today as you're practicing safety. But um, but in those of you watching online, I really I'm really looking forward to uh, reacquainting with old friends. I mean, there were 600 of us that started this campus. Yeah. Um, and the leadership team was pretty big, and we were meeting in houses all over Macomb County. We were trying to find the place that we were going to meet yeah. until this wonderful building was built. So those are some of the best years of my life, and I'm really looking forward to stepping back in for a season. And, you know, I'm gonna, you know part of what I'm going to be doing is up here a few times a month teaching, but, but really I feel like my role is to be available to you in this time of change and transition. Um, you can make time to buy me keyword, buy me coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner, because um, I don't have a home here, so I'm kind of a vagabond, uh, but I really, I really have a lot of joy in my heart, and I just feel like we're here because God led us, just like he led us away, and by the way, <clears throat> anybody that was here when we opened, uh, just see a, a few hands, okay, just a very few, um, the Sunday that we were going to announce I was leaving, and it was only, it was uh, only about two years before, we, after we started the campus, and Chris and my wife, Chris, and I were driving down Hall Road from Washington Township, where we live, to come and sit on the stage with Steve Andrews and look out at people that I had grown to love and say, uh, God's called us to New York City. And I, I really didn't want to do it. I knew God wanted us to. But I remembered a story of a guy who didn't want to go, and he got swallowed by a big fish. So, you know, I thought, I need to go. But literally, we were driving down Hall Road, and it was a beautiful morning, and the sun was coming up in the east. We're driving into the sun, and I said to God, if this was a test... I've passed it. If this was like Abraham's test where he had to offer up his son, I said, I've, I've said, yes, I'm offering up Clinton Township. You can stop me now. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. And I got all the way here, and we had a very emotional day. And, and, you know, we were here another year after that, but it was just a hard transition for us. So I'm so happy that God has tapped me on the shoulder and allowed me to come back. Us too. And it really <laughs> is um, God's provision and his peace um, has just been tremendous through this transition. And we're really grateful you're here. Thank you. And I, I just want to say, she's a rock star. You guys know that? <laughs> um, she, her first, I think she was the first person we hired to be on the staff, and she ran our children's program uh, for a number of years. And just to watch your growth and your development, and your staff love you. Everything I've heard this week is like, this is a family on your staff, and it's easy to step into that, and I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team. Uh, I do, while you're still up here, I do want to share one little story with you. So you have something to compare here, okay? okay. So um, my farewell uh, service was in a midweek service at Troy in August and, or July maybe. And I think the place was packed and it was a very emotional time. And when I got, we got done with the actual service and I came down off the stage, there were a lot of people that wanted to give me a hug. We wanted to cry together, share stories, memories. And that went on for a very long time. And there was a woman that was in line, and when she finally got up here, I knew I recognized her face because I'd been on the stage. I didn't know her name. So she came up, she took my hand, she shook my hand, she told me her name, and then she didn't say anything. She just looked at me for like five seconds. 
which doesn't sound like a long time, but that's enough for it to be awkward. And she had, like, she wrinkled her brow. She was, like, kind of, like, confused. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then she looked me in the eyes, and this is what she said. This was her farewell to me after the years that we had been together. Her farewell was, I thought you were taller. (laughs) Really? That's all you got? And then she didn't say anything else. She walked away. By the way, if that's you and you're listening to this, I, I didn't want to embarrass you. I'm not saying your name. I don't even, actually, I don't know your name. But it was such a weird moment, and I realized that in a big church where you don't get to meet everybody, and I hope to meet as many of you as possible, um, like I said, just reach out to me. I'd love to sit down with you, see how I can be of help. But uh, the reality is that apparently on the stage you look taller. Yeah, yeah, so, so I'm only a little taller than Sonia, all right, so I, because I want to manage expectations. I don't want to be here a year, and then when we say goodbye again, you are so disappointed that I'm short, Okay. <laughs> So I'm just telling you right up front, I'll see you in the lobby after. And actually, I did this in the first service, and I had all these smart aleck guys coming up saying, yeah, you are short. So you don't need to do that either. I get it. I'm short. So, okay. So thank you so much. Thanks for the great welcome I've had this week. Look forward to our time ahead. So crazy time we're living in, right? Wow. I don't know if you watched the debate this week. But there was a question, I'm sure you know if you did, posed by an eighth grader from Utah. Her name was Brecklin Brown, and here's what she wrote. And I think this sums up a lot of what we're feeling. When I watch the news, all I see is arguing between Democrats and Republicans. When I watch the news, all I see is citizen fighting against citizen. When I watch the news, all I see are two candidates from opposing parties trying to tear each other down. And here was the question. If our leaders can't get along, how are the citizens supposed to get along? It's a great question. How can we get along? So that's the question that we begin to address today, and we will for three weeks. Because I believe there is a very clear path laid out for us in God's word that can answer that question. Here's how we can get along, even in a time like this. You know, when Jesus was once asked, um, what matters most to God? Like, they said, what's the greatest commandment? But really, the guy was looking for Cliff Notes' version of the Bible. Like, bottom line, tell me what really counts. What is God looking for? And his answer was very simple, at the same time, extremely challenging. And I think many of you know the answer. He said, It's to love God and to love others. That's what God's looking for. Women and men and children who will devote their lives to loving God and to loving others. And so as we begin today, I want you to imagine with me a world where this is the measure of our lives, to love God and to love others. I've been running the circus Jumping the hurdles, getting caught in that rush of doing so much, feeling kind of worn out, always checking the boxes, trying to be flawless, yes, has me spinning my head and catching my breath, too afraid to slow down, I tell myself to keep this up, that God wants more than just my love, but I've been complicating just like me to overthink 
gotta keep it real simple, keep it real simple, bring everything right back to ground zero, cause it all comes down to this, love God and love people, cause we're living in a world that keeps breaking, if you wanna find a way to change it, Divisive, anger, hatred. A nation united? A nation that isn't jaded? Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Is that even possible in such a time as this? Could we have such a hope that maybe Jesus could bring us all together? Or do we need something else to help us cope? From the rubble that is our Facebook comment section, could we allow God to bring beauty? See, but we have to ask him to do it. We have to believe he can do it. And then we have to be willing to be used by him so that he can do it. Or do we stay on our side of the rugged aisle, across the battered stream, the shattered tiles on our partition team? I say enough. And I challenge you, enough with this, enough with that. See, as long as we're doing our best to be just like Jesus, right? That's what we're trying to do. The problem is that I do have to ask, can we come together? Could we come together now, I'm sure that there's issues where we don't agree. There's great value sometimes in having perspective, but does that mean that we can't find peace? See, what I mean is, do our differences have to define us and drag us so far away from the greater place that we find hope? Do our opinions about politics have to build up barriers inside the place where so many of us find home? The church, his bride, where Christ lives in us. Could we 
agreed not to pledge our allegiance to a party, not to a mere man, but to a man who was sent for our salvation, not to surrender to a country, but to a king, above all kings. Could we come together? Could we come together on that? United. I don't know how you felt when you heard all those questions. Like, is it possible? Can we come together? Can we be united in a time like this? You know, can we find hope? Can we see the beauty of God in the midst of all of this? And those are the questions we're going to be asking of ourselves and of each other in the next few weeks. So, hey, as we jump into the message, I do want to just talk about our offering for a moment. Um, first of all, I just want to give a big uh, word of gratitude for you who support Kensington and we don't pass the plate during this time, so you can give online. You can use the app if you have the Kensington app. Um, or on the way out, there'll be some buckets that you can drop your gift in. So again, just appreciate so much your generosity and your support of the work that God has called us to at Kensington Church, Clinton Township. So thank you. So I've been reading the Bible, um, studying the Bible for more years than I want to admit because I'm getting old. You know, it's funny, I blinked my eyes and thought, how did 12 years go by? It feels like I just left, and then I look in the mirror and see all this gray hair, and I go, no, it's been a while. So, so here I am back, and I'm teaching the Bible again, and I've been reading the Bible my whole life. In fact, my, my introduction to Jesus was uh, as a five-year-old in a Sunday school class where the teacher told us about hell and then said, you'll go there if you don't accept Jesus, and it was 100% conversion uh, that particular morning. We were not stupid kids. We knew a good deal when we heard it. Uh, fortunately, over the years, I came to understand that the Word of God and the love of God and the gospel is much more than, than that idea. But I gave myself to ministry. God called me when I was uh, 18 years old, graduating from high school. Um, and I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. Uh, 41 years now, I've been in ministry of some form. And the Bible has been central to all of that. But I want to make a confession to you this morning. Sometimes the Bible frustrates me. Like, the more I study it, I wish it was just a little bit tighter, a little bit neater. Like, I've told God many times my opinion, which is you should have done a table of contents by topic and put it all, everything in one place so we wouldn't have to look old and new and try to put all this together. It's just like, it can be really confusing sometimes, and sometimes I just can't pull it all together. And I would say, actually, as I've gotten older and done this longer, that I've had to accept that there's a mystery in some of this. That God actually asks, asks us to hold things in tension. I want to give you one example today that I think is pertinent to our topic. So there's a really interesting story in the book of Joshua. And as a child in Sunday school, we, we uh, sang this song about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And it's about Jer uh, Joshua taking his little army and going around the city of Jericho. And the walls all fell in. And they defeated the enemy. That was a cool story for a kid. But there's something in this story that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Joshua has come near Jericho, and as he approaches, he sees a man standing with a sword. And so he's alarmed, and he approaches him and asks him a question. It's probably the same question that I would have asked, although actually I probably would have run away. But he goes to him and he says, he asks this question, are you one of us or one of our adversaries? Are you on our side or are you on the other side? Do you play for our team or on the other team? And I think this exposes that our nature is to want to know who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's part of us, who's not part of us. So he wants to know of this soldier, are you going to be fighting for us or against us? 
And here's how the man replies. The man with the sword. He says, neither. Now this is God's word. And then, to add to it, he says, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So his title was commander of the army of the Lord, and they're about to go in battle, and Joshua says, which side are you on? And he says, neither. Does that strike you as a little bit unusual? (laughs) Like it does me? See what I mean? This was not a trick question. This is very clear. Which side are you on? But his answer is a little bit confusing, a little bit mysterious. And we know in the end that God gave the victory to Joshua, but in this moment of concern, he didn't give the answer that he was looking for. And rather than rushing past this, which is what I've tended to do, if something doesn't make sense, I rush past it, I've tried to live in passages like this and try to figure out, well, what is God communicating to me? Because this is all, it's all God's word. And I wonder if he's inviting with us to wrestle with some things here, like our natural us versus them tendency that we have, our inclination to draw lines and see who's on which side, and most importantly, to not put God in a box. Because God, it's hard to put him in a box because he's God. Maybe there is, a, there is much more than just an either or out there. Maybe there is a third way that's God's way that we should wrestle with. Well, Jesus came to establish a new way. He came to establish a new kingdom, a kingdom that looks like God, a kingdom that looks like Jesus. The kingdom of this world we might call the alternative kingdom. We all know well. We're seeing it every day. We live it. and Sometimes we participate in it. I know I do. It's tit for tat. It's eye for eye. It's getting even. It's paying back. It doesn't carry the cross. It carries a sword. It's about power. It's about the desire for others to be torn up so that I can be built up. It's that human nature that we talked about in the creed that's there. It's that way of life. By contrast, when Jesus came, and he was a revolutionary because he came with a very different idea about how life is to be lived, a very different concept of how life would work. We might call this the kingdom of Jesus. It's a kingdom where bitterness and unforgiveness do not exist. It's a kingdom that is built upon love and grace and truth. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the power under, not the power over. When we suffer... We follow Jesus. We imitate his life and his words and his actions. It's one where evil is returned with good. It's one where insult is returned with blessing. It's one where we turn the other cheek. We love our enemy. We walk the extra mile. We have compassion and empathy. And it's rooted in sacrificial love for others, even others who are far from God and far from us. Do you understand that that's the call? That's the Cliff Notes version of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is that we're willing to be drawn into that kind of life and that kind of love. And so when we find ourselves in such a polarized world and culture that we're in right now, we know there's another way. We're called to another way. We're called to the kingdom of Jesus. And I think we're living in a time where we have an unprecedented opportunity to live above the fray, to live differently, to act differently, to speak differently, to have attitudes that are different. As followers of Jesus, which is how many of us identify ourselves as Christians, we're followers of Jesus, which, by the way, very simply means that I came to a point where I was so enamored and captivated by Jesus and his love that I said, I belong to you. You're the boss. I'm not the boss. I'm surrendering everything to you. Now, I will never do that perfectly, by far from perfect. But that's the intent of our hearts, to be Jesus' people. And we will now conduct ourselves 
in everything we do, how we love people, especially who don't, people who don't think the same way we do, those who don't vote the way we might vote, or support the candidate we would support. And by the way, we're, this series is not about telling you where you should line up on any of those things. Because we all differ. Anybody of you have family members that are on the opposite sides of this? Like, it's crazy. You've got to be very careful what you say and don't say, or dinner's over, right? So we're not going to tell you that. We are going to ask you who you did vote for, though, and then we're going to make you sit in a certain part of the auditorium base. No, just kidding. But this is, trust me, I believe this is one of the most critical moments in our lifetime where the rubber really does meet the road. We, of the people who say, love your enemies, because Jesus told us to, is that talk or is that real? Can we really be people of love in this environment? And I think how we we live right now is so critical because we have so many things going on at the same time. We have all the racial injustice that's been exposed. We have a pandemic, for crying out loud, where over 200,000 members of our country have passed away from the virus. We have all the rules and, and procedures and policies surrounding this issue so that even something like this has become a hot point of discussion. I mean, that's how we're living right now. People have lost their jobs. The economy is in trouble. These are trying times. And then I, I bring it down even to the issue of What's going on with Kensington with all this change in leadership and, and even this church especially with Chris leaving? I mean, this is really, there's a lot going on right now. How can we have hearts that reflect who Jesus is? How can we have actions that reflect that? You know, Jesus said to his followers um, that we were the light of the world. And then he said, let your light shine before men so that everyone will see your good works and they will end up glorifying your Father who is in heaven. Can we live as light where people notice and they end up glorifying God. I wonder what they see when they see us talk to each other, whether it's across the table or in the internet. By the way, can I give some free advice? You might disagree with me, but let's not have conversations about meaningful things on social media. Can we do that? Can we talk about what bread we baked and where we went on vacation and, right? Right now, I'm I'm watching who's not clapping and I'm gonna go on your social media and see what you're doing, okay? Just kidding. You know, one morning a few months ago, I was, I was up early, and I, didn't, I was unemployed at the time, and the pandemic was blowing up, and I was out in California with my kids, uh, who are all adults, and my wife, and we were up in the mountains. And I had something that happened in my life that was the most painful thing that I've experienced, and I was angry, and I was struggling with bitterness, and my prayers were not really prayers. I was telling God who he needed to take care of and what he needed to do to them. And I was asking him to agree with me, and I couldn't wait to win this thing that was going on. It was just very, very painful. And it was definitely, I was in a us versus them mindset, and I was the good guy, and they were the bad guy. And it was so crystal clear to me. And so I felt justified in all the things that I was feeling and plotting to do. And this went on for weeks. And I had two hours every morning where I got up early, went outside, and just tried to sit in this space and say, come on, God. And one day, the gentle nudge of God came, and it came in four words that I had to look up where they were later. I knew they were in Scripture. It was from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You can see it on the screen. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. So we had a little discussion. I said, well, I want to do some things in love when I feel like it. (laughs) No, do everything in love. Even this thing right now that I'm in, even this injustice that I'm facing in my life, even the wrong that is done to me, do everything in love. And then, of course, my mind went right to the cross, to the, to the journey of Jesus, through wrong accusation, through abuse, 
through beatings and through even death. And some of his final words were, Father, forgive them. See, this is what he calls us to. I mean, I think the, the life of a Jesus follower is the most beautiful life possible, but it'll change you. It'll get, it'll get under your skin. It'll go deep in you. And you can't get away with anything because love in the end needs to prevail. God's love needs to prevail. It needs to conquer me. I need to be conquered by his love. So we have to have hard conversations. I'm not saying that you don't vote, you don't have discussions, but how do we engage with people? Jesus had hard conversations, but he always engaged with people in a way that we have often lost today as followers of Jesus. How, how is it that we've come to a point in our country where if we don't agree? Because see, being united doesn't mean you agree. It means you find harmony. Even in our disagreements, how have we come to the point where it divides and separates families and communities and churches, and it's just such an awful thing that we're in. Is it possible, and this is the question we're going to try to address today and the next two weeks that follow, to have civil discourse and to have harmony, and what does it look like, and how do we get there? So I'm just going to point us to one passage today, and it's from, it's from the book, which is near the end of the New Testament, called uh, Peter. And Peter was living at a time in the first century, you know, he was one of Jesus' closest friends and one of his disciples, and they were living in a time in the first century where they were under the threat of death all the time. You talk about polarization, there was the kingdom of Caesar, and then there was the followers of Jesus, and they were being chased down and hunted down and persecuted, and they were being fed to the lions, and it was really a very intense time, way more intense than what we're living in right now. And so Peter writes to them, and he, he wants to write some words of encouragement and exhortation. What do you say to people like that? They don't even get to vote. They didn't get to vote for Caesar or Peter or Joe or John. Caesar was there and he was ruler, ultimate ruler. They considered him God and they were under that authority and they were suffering for it. And so he writes these words and I want to point out just four things that I think can be guide us down the path of how do we engage in a time like this in a way that reflects Jesus and that reflects harmony. How can we be in harmony here, even now, just a few weeks before an important election? Well, the first thing he says now, when he says them, you'll see the verse up there in Peter. First thing he says is that we should have no fear of them. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And I've come to believe in my own experience these last few months that fear drives a lot of what's going on inside of me. And my heart is definitely troubled. There's a restlessness that's there. There's an anxiety that's there. And so... What is the basis of that fear? Why are we living in fear right now? And we're asking questions or we're thinking thoughts like, well, if this person wins the election instead of this person, it's going to be horrible. Or the other, you have people right across the aisle from you that are thinking the other person. And we're looking at the circumstances and we're kind of feeling like there's so much at stake here and if this or that happens, all is going to be lost. And so we're, ha- we're wringing our hands in anxiety and fear, and and that comes out when we start talking to to the person that's on the other side of the issue or the person. It comes out. We can't help ourselves. There's so much at stake here. And I have to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, in all of this, what is God doing? Like, does God join me in my hand-wringing and my sense of hopelessness if this happens or that happens? Is God no longer on the throne? Is God the God who um, we were exhorted to trust and even pray for our leaders when those leaders were Caesar? Has he stopped doing his job? Like, does he need us to try to straighten all this out? And I really believe that the fear that we have 
is somehow our failure, rooted in, our, in my failure, and maybe our failure, to lean into God in trust. I'm not saying don't vote, don't write your congressman, don't write the governor, don't do whatever. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying, though, that what's the attitude behind this? What's the sense of security that we feel because we, are, we belong to a God who has not left his throne? So he begins, Peter begins by saying, please, don't fear, don't have troubled hearts. But then he continues, and I think this is the key. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And the reason why this is the key, because it'll be impossible to do the next two things I'm going to share with you and this is, unless this is true. We belong to Jesus. He's the one that even in the midst of all the accusations and suffering he did, he was forgiving, and that's our standard. It may be hard, you may not like it, I may not like it, but he doesn't say, well, in your case, I'm going to kind of let this go. No, he wants us to be people that look like Jesus. And when we set our hearts on following Jesus as our king, we will live differently. We aren't choosing the lesser of two evils. We're choosing the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is. And his way is the right way. And if we follow in his path, our hearts will calm. Our fears will dissipate. Because he, we have set him aside as Lord, as king. So I have to ask myself in all this, who do I belong to? Who do I answer her to? Who do I love? And can his love change my wandering heart? Can he reel me in? Paul wrote in, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, the love of Christ constrains me. I need to be constrained. I'm left on my own. I'm going to do a lot of damage. But when, when the love of Christ so overwhelms me, it reels me in, it constrains me. I find that it checks what I'm going to say. It begins to get into my attitudes. Set aside Jesus in our hearts as Lord. And we surrender our fear and our troubled hearts to him. And now this one. He says, and then what I want you to do is I want you to always be prepared to make a defense. Let me stop there for a moment. Not defensive or not defending. Probably a better word, English word to use here would be to give an answer. And some translations use that. To give an answer. And an answer for what? When people ask you, where does your hope come from? How do you have hope in a time like this? If we're living right, if I'm living right, people will say, Man, for crying out loud, you're, you're so hopeful. How can you be hopeful in a time like this? And by the way, notice they're asking. I'm not on my bully pulpit. I don't have my bullhorn out. I'm not sending 15 tweets a day and posting everything. I'm in a conversation. This is not a monologue. This is a dialogue. And they're asking to give a reason for why we're so hopeful. It's a conversation. We're listening. We're curious about who they are and what they think. We're not just waiting to get our word in and show them how they're wrong. We're invited to give an answer to why we're such hopeful people, even in a time like this. It's hard to listen sometimes, isn't it? There's a, a proverb um, in the Old Testament that says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. You know, it'd be like going to a doctor and said, I'm sick, and before he asks you, he doesn't ask you what you're sick with, he prescribes brain surgery. No, he's got to figure out what's going on here. He's got to listen. He's got to do a diagnosis. And then he says, here's the prescription. So we are called to be listeners of people, to hear their narrative, to hear their story, to enter into their space, to grow empathy, rather than just getting there and saying, this is what's true and this is why, why I'm right and why you're wrong. Even Stephen Covey in the seven habits 
of highly effective people says we should seek first to understand then to be understood. That's what people of God do. That's what followers of Jesus do. We listen. We listen well. We're not trying to get our point across or try to be right. And in that, we are to be people of hope. So when we begin to stress about, but if my guy loses or our country, you know, this happens, our country's going to fall apart, then we reveal that we've put our hope in the wrong thing, a candidate or a law or a policy or a procedure. But that's not where our hope is to be. There's a bigger story going on here. You know that. The story of God, the re- his redeeming love, his redeeming work in us and then through us. And that's what we carry out from this place and from our homes every week when we interact with people. That's the call to rise above all of this, to live above that, and to live in harmony as people of love. You know, I was, um, well, let's, let me go into the last one. And the last one, this is where it gets really practical. It tells us our posture, our attitude. And it's to do this how? It's to do this with gentleness and respect. Man, just, just take a moment, silent moment, to think about those words in the context of today. Gentleness. Respect. Man, do we need that now. We need gentleness and respect. And it's so easy to get baited into an attack and an argument and defending ourselves. In fact, I remember um, the first year, I, the first week I assumed the leadership of the New York City Rescue Mission. It was a pretty important thing in the city. This is an old historic mission started in 1872. My predecessor had been there for 25 years. New leadership is coming in. So I guess it was a story. And I got a call from a reporter from a newspaper, can I come in and interview you for an article? And I thought, well, this would be great. Good publicity for the mission. So Bob walks in. He's very tall, although I guess to me everybody's tall because since I'm short. Um, he sits down. He's very friendly. He's talking about the Yankees at that time. Think about someone from Detroit having to talk about the Yankees. It was very painful. Um, we talked about the weather and just, you know, kind of very easy conversation. And then he says, hey, I want to get this right. Can I turn on my recorder and record the conversation? I said, sure. And then a different person showed up. Here's what he said. He said, I did my research. I see that you've uh, been a pastor at churches. You've been a missionary to India. And now you're leading this Christian mission for the homeless. So essentially, you are a proselytizer. And just to be clear, what I'm saying to you is that you are now going to leverage the misfortune of the poor and homeless by trying to get them converted. Well, that's an easy start. (laughs) It's like my heart's racing 100 miles an hour. You know what I pictured? It really came into my mind. I pictured the headline in the New York paper that said, evil proselytizer comes to take advantage of the homeless. I mean, that's where this is going to go. This is going to be awful. And I was angry, and I thought, how dare you throw that on me and call me a proselytizer? And, and I, I was ready to go. You know, I was in debate in high school. I was on the debate team. I love a good debate, and I'm just going to tear this guy apart. That was about 10 seconds, and then... Thankfully, God's spirit came over me and reminded me that the very first thing he said to me when he walked in was, my name is Bob, I'm Jewish, but I'm an agnostic. So in that moment, rather than speaking first, I recalled that and I thought, I wonder why he said that first. That's a weird way to introduce yourself. So I said, well, Bob, let me, let me ask you, why did you introduce yourself that way? And before you answer, let me tell you why I think you did. I said, as an agnostic, If you're a good agnostic, you think that if we would simply be not so dogmatic about our religion, in humility, say, listen, we don't really know, so let's all get along. Because you would see all the fighting and all the hostility and anger and stuff that's been through human history related to religion. Let's just set that aside and come together as human beings in humility. 
I said, and if we become friends and start getting coffee once a week or once a month, which I hope we do, we would actually start, as we did today, with baseball and weather and everything. But eventually, if we're friends, we'd start talking about the deeper matters of life, things that matter to us. And you would hope in time that you could convince me that being an agnostic is a better way for a human being to live. And I, in turn, would say, well, if we could just follow Jesus in his teachings, we would love our enemy, we would turn the other cheek, the golden rule. This is who he was, and I think the world would be better if we could come around him and live his way. And if I really believed what I believed, I would hope that I could convince my friend to come over to this way of thinking, and as your friend, you would hope that I would come over to your way of thinking. So I'm proselytizing, but so are you. And then I'm waiting, like, what's going to happen? He said, fair enough. And he wrote a great article about the mission. Nothing negative. Thank you, God. Instead of being baited into the battle, I saw the bigger picture. Bob is someone loved by God, who's seen him from his first breath. He saw him in his mother's womb. And I'm either going to help him in the process of knowing this God, or I'm going to turn him away. There's almost no neutral here. That's the position we are in right now. With all this conversation and going on, to not be baited into it, to defend ourselves or to explain ourselves or to try to convince anybody of anything, but to want to talk about things that will lead into the bigger story of what in the world is going on in this world today. A world that's broken. It's always been broken since Genesis chapter 3. That God has come at grace, sacrificial love to restore, and he invites you and me into that process. How do I help that process rather than hurt it? So the person that I might be tempted to dismiss or vilify or judge or whatever, she's immortal. He's deeply loved by God. Will that in any way help me navigate what's going on? Will that draw me into a bigger story, a bigger picture? And I, I just want to say that I'm not doing this that well all the time. You know, one of the things that, that you, when you're a Christian this long, you also learn to be a little bit of a good hypocrite. And what I mean by that in this context is that I think all kinds of thoughts I don't say because I have the filter there. And then I'm realizing that that's still in my heart and that's not good. And I'm asking God to break my heart for the people that are on the other side of whatever I think is right or wrong, that I care more about them and their life and their story and their journey and how God might be working in their life. And there's so much at stake in that that I don't want to do anything to mess that up. So it, it restrains me from thinking certain things and acting on those thoughts and doing the thing that was going to undo the work of God. And I believe, uh, men and women, today that we have an opportunity that may never come again. And in some respects, I hope it doesn't because it's been such a hard year with everything that's going on. But to, to be above the fray, to live the third way, to live in the mystery of I'm not going to get into the either or, I'm going to simply want to be a life that points you to a God who loves Everyone, whatever party they're affiliated with, whatever candidate they're backing, however they think about this thing, that there's a bigger story that's so much more important than that story that that's the story I want to live out. And I think for Kensington Community Church, I think for, this, for Clinton Township, we have a wonderful opportunity to be that light, that we would be the light that shines, that people would say, explain this to me. Why are you so hopeful? Why are you so loving? Why are you so gentle? Why are you so respectful? And that nothing that I do would ever give the opposite message. 
that we'd say, oh, those Christians are like everyone else. They're doing the same thing. Because I've seen that and I've heard that. So we want God to lift us up into his love today and in this series so that his love would overwhelm us, his love for us and our love for others would flow out of us in a time where the world really needs love. So let me just, let me just ask you to pray with me for a moment. God, this is a big, a big moment for us in time. They won't come again. And we are anxious and we are fearful and we are angry, if we're honest. But we also know that none of that serves your purposes because you are none of those things. You are not without hope. You are not without peace. You are not angry. That you are, as, as John the Apostle said, you are love. That's who you are. And so I would ask that you would help us to be that love. And we know that we can't do it without you. Help us to reject fear and trust you to let Christ constrain us to be our Lord, to be people of hope, and to be gentle and respectful of others, to be Jesus in this time. I pray this in your name. Amen. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. For I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. For I took a breath.
was your foe, still your love for me. You have been so, so good to me. I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on, let's sing that there's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No Shadow! 
love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
I don't deserve it, but still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of I'm going to ask, ask you to do me just a little favor here. Could you just have a seat for a moment? Um, I think that's everything. The words of the scripture that we heard, the words of that song, like that's where we have to live. So I, I would just, I'm going to ask you here, if you're watching um, live streaming somewhere, if you can, just to close your eyes. If you're driving, please don't. But just close your eyes for a moment. I just don't want to rush out of this moment. I think God is working. He's working in my heart. I think he's working in hearts. To just try to draw into that, the truth of that, that, that God's love for you was relentless. It is relentless. It's reckless. He sacrificed everything for it. And we need to know how deeply we are loved. So if we could just sit and just ask God, reveal your love to us, to our hearts. Help us to feel your love today. we just say thank you thank you for never giving up on us thank you for pursuing us thank you for coming after us thank you for leaving the 99 to come after the one and there are still a lot of ones out there help us to be people that are reckless ourselves in our love we're relentless ourselves in our love thank you for meeting us with here today go with us as we leave in your love, we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, one announcement before you go. Um, we've, um, we've planned something for this series to extend what we're talking about in here. So I believe, I may get this wrong, six or seven o'clock, does anyone know? One of those two, go online. So Danny Cox is going to, for the next three Sunday nights, is going to engage in a discussion with some guests that are brought in, kind of a panel discussion online that can take what we've talked about and flesh it out in real lives and people that are struggling and are are just in the middle of all of this. I think it'll be very helpful for us to engage in that kind of conversation. So if you're available tonight, six or seven, I'm sorry, I don't know the time. I'm new here, okay? Give me a break. Um, uh, but I think it'll be really helpful for us to grow. And I, I just want to exhort you, my last word today, let's go be reckless, okay? Let's be reluctant in our love, okay? God bless. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.